Welcome to Elaine's Kitchen Table. This is where we share tips about business and parenting. Being a mom of three, CEO of the award-winning company Easy Daisy's speaker and educator, you're going to learn the tips and secrets of successful and incredible people. Elaine wants you to be inspired, challenged, and motivated, and that person you want your kids to grow up to be. This is Real Talk for Real Life. Hi, welcome to Elaine's Kitchen Table, where we talk about how to create better family, better health, better business, better self, and it was a no-brainer to have this guest that we're about to invite onto this podcast. And I'm very excited to share that my co-host today is Mr. Ron Como, my husband. Say hello, Ron. Hello. (laughs) See, I didn't say hello, Ron. (laughs) I know you wanted to. Now, this guest of us, that of ours, sorry, is someone who he has no idea how his book called Essentialism totally changed the way I do things. And it was at a time when I really had a big wake up call. Um, This book, Essentialism is actually the first book that I read while I was in stroke recovery. Um, I had seven months of stroke rehab and my husband gave me this book and said I had to read it. And I cannot wait to share some of the truths that really kind of hit me like a brick wall and just changed my path. And I was on this freeway of thinking I have to do it all. I am this uh, mom, multiple business owner, crazy. I don't know. I'm definitely not a superhero, but sometimes I felt like I had to be a superhero, but that's something I want to share about what I learned and through this book. Ron is actually going to introduce our guest because he's just incredible. Ron, what would you like to say? say. All right. Well, I think we've, we just finished the interview. And it's going to be a great interview with that. You'll learn a lot. He basically speaks for himself. But like we said, his name is Greg McEwen, author of Essentialism, The Disciplined Pursuit of Less and a New York Times bestseller. We had a really long bio for him here, but uh, I'll just give you the highlights. Uh, you'll hear that he speaks the delightful British accent and yes. born in London, England. Everything sounds better with the British accent. Yes. <laughs> Moved to America and graduated from MBA from Stanford University, uh, where he now lives uh, in the LA area with his wife and four children, who happen to be the same age as our three children. Yes. Between 11 and 17. And that reminds me, I wanted to share a joke with Greg, but... Uh, forgot the, the joke that Jim Gaffigan has about having four children. Said uh, Someone asked him what it's like uh, to have four children. He said, imagine you're drowning and someone hands you a baby. <laughs> so somehow Greg manages to be an essentialist uh, with all that going on. He has uh, worked with companies that you may have heard of, such as Apple, Google, Facebook, and Pixar, and Twitter, and etc. These are all companies that have brought him in to help uh, improve their culture and become more essentialist. So without further ado, I think we'll get into the interview. Yay! So excited. (laughs) Oh my goodness. This is uh, one of those moments where it's a dream come true that we have Greg McEwen on this podcast. Greg, welcome, welcome, welcome. It's so nice to be with you. So nice to be (laughs) with both of you. I'm looking forward to this conversation. 
Yes. So it it is a different podcast. Uh, Here's my husband, Ron. Ron, say hello. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm speechless and I'm, I'm rarely speechless. And I... If, if I could take a moment where, you know, you say, okay, I have a bucket list, I have a wish list, and this is one of those moments when, I don't know, I know you're listening and you think, okay, I've read some great books, I, I wish I could meet Oprah, or I wish I could meet, you know, Amy Tan, or, well, I have always wanted to meet Greg McEwen, and I, I'm going to dig a little deeper here. Um we are just launching this new season of our podcast because it had been on pause. And some of you had wondered why, why was it on pause? And I'm so grateful for you that you've been listening um, faithfully during this time of pausing of new episodes. But the reason is I had a stroke um, two years ago. So we just celebrated that anniversary and seven months of stroke rehab. I had the worst stutter. I still can cry at the drop of a, a pin. <laughs> and um, I will say that the first book that I read during my stroke rehab was a book that my husband gave to me. Um, I, I didn't know that you know he's had this for a while because it's one of his favorites, but he gave it to me. And it was the first book I read during that time of crazy uh, relearning how to hold a pen, relearning how to brush my teeth. But this book was uh, life-changing. And and I know that those who, who know me, they know, of course she's crying. <laughs> I should have bought stocks and Kleenex a long time ago because I think I funded half of their... Uh, <laughs> their gross profit <laughs> but um essentialism you know during my stroke rehab i i learned so many valuable lessons and uh and i'm not talking about just learning how to hold a fork and how to brush your teeth again but i'm talking about uh learning to put your time and energy where your heart is learning to be that person who wants to live a life by design and not by default. Learning to be a person who says, I choose to rather than I have to. And you know, all these great things that I've learned that I'm saying, I'm actually quoting. I am quoting from this awesome book, Essentialism, written by this person who's on our podcast right now, Greg McEwen. He probably thinks I'm a little crazy right now. Who no. cries over who cries over a book? <laughs> I do. <laughs> well, I've cried over it too, but for different reasons. <laughs> but Greg, I want to start. I want to start by saying, please tell us. Tell us about your family. Tell us more. Oh, I want to ask you more. <laughs> um, um, I'm married to my, uh, of course, best friend, uh, Anna. Uh, we've been married uh, 20 years this August. Uh, we have four children, uh, aged 11 to 17. I mean, these are the people who matter most. These, are, these people epitomize everything that's essential to me. Um, and we live in Southern California, 
between LA and Malibu in the hills. And um, we, I'm just delighted to be able to, uh, to be with you today uh, and with Ron. And I'm, I'm delighted to be able to uh, continue the conversation that is essentialism. Uh, it was always designed, intended that it would be, uh, that I, I was writing it because I wanted to start a conversation with people. Uh, and I've been surprised, delighted to see um, you know, people all over uh, re react to the ideas. Uh, really, I think, somebody just said it to me recently, is a surgeon, uh, an eye surgeon who, uh, his wife told me that he used to sit and with his head in his hands and just say again and again, I cannot do it all. I can't do it all. I can't do it all. And then exhausted, he would stand up and just be like, well, I have to, let's get going. And then he got, um, I mean, it's not, it's not the same as anyone else's story, but there's something similar in the story that you shared, but he, he had some things start happening to his hands and here he is a surgeon. He, he, obviously he needs his hands, uh, but he doesn't even have time to go and check it out. So what he needs to do about it. And they went on a long uh, road trip and they, while they were there, she had, she, she read him the whole of essentialism. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, as, as they, they're on this road trip, they make notes and they just make sort of a couple of decisions they're going to, 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 to do differently, two or three things. One is that they, he's going to actually start exercising. So he's going to protect the asset that's him physically and spiritually and emotionally and mentally. Just put that first and not think that that's selfish. Uh, the second thing he does is he, he goes and he reaches out to work and he says, look, I've got to start just working with only the customers that only I can work with, the, 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 the patients that only I can serve. If someone else can serve them, let somebody else serve them. If one of, somebody else in the office can help them, one of the other medical staff, it's got to be delegated. It can't be that everyone comes to me just because I'm wanting to serve and care. Uh, and, then, and then actually he negotiated, uh, he was on the elders board of his church and he renegotiated, renegotiated that too, which I, I think didn't go so smoothly because no one had ever done it before. No one had ever seen it as a discussion item and something they could counsel about. And so at first they thought something terrible must have happened to him or he maybe wasn't worthy to serve or something. And, it, and, and so he had to know it's okay. I just am trying to get my things in order so that I can look after myself properly, so I can look after my family properly and that I can become a, be a good surgeon sustainably. Well, that, that continues um, the, the, the way that they, they shared that story with me. Recently, I was uh, interviewing them as part of a, a new podcast I'm launching on essentialism. And, and as, they were, as they were telling this, they were sort of interrupting each other. It was delightful, actually, hearing them all talk. And they said, they said well, what happened is that the, his business partner in the office suddenly, I don't know if he quit, but he gave just a month's notice. And suddenly all of those patients had to be served. And they said, if that had happened without these new changes in place, without this new plan in place, he said, they said, this wasn't just life-changing for him. They both believe it was life-saving because of where he was at physically and mentally and so on before. Well, if I hear a story like that, or of course the story you just shared, of course it's humbling, but it also reminds me 
of the fact that most people are choosing non-essentialism, mm-hmm. the enemy of our story, by default. They do not know they're using it. In fact, the, this, uh, the, this, um, this surgeon said to me, I mean, I just didn't know there was another way to do life. I did not, wow. I did not know there was another alternative. So he was down one path, not because he was choosing, it just did, that's the only path. That's life. Wow. And, and so I'm, I just love being part of initiating this conversation one person at a time to be able to say, look, there's a different way. You can choose a different life. Wow. One way you're making trade-offs between the stuff that doesn't matter and the things that only you can do that are uniquely yours, your essential mission, something that, you know, what you came on earth to do and, and you can start making these trade-offs. So, so to me, this is what I'm so excited about with essential. I, I love how you just worded that, that, you know, some people have no idea me. I had no idea that there was another choice. And I think off, off, uh, offline when we were talking just now I was saying that even when I was in the hospital for eight nine days whatever it was you know my physical body had changed because of the stroke but my mindset had not right I was thinking what did I think I wasn't thinking anything else but my goodness this stroke is completely inconvenient (laughs) is what I was thinking I was thinking I had this mass uh uh, this huge test order that I'm doing with one of the largest mass retailers in the United States. I, I was launching a book. I had three speaking uh, engagements. I'm supposed to be at a nationals tournament in Edmonton with my 16 year old daughter. I cannot be having this stroke. How am I going to yeah. do? <laughs> how, how am I, gonna... I still going to do everything? Yes. How, how can I do everything plus just deal with the stroke? Exactly. It's, it's, like, it's that heart surgery portable. Can I do it like on the flights by YouTube? <laughs> There's got to be a way. <laughs> right? We're resourceful. We can figure this out. But no, that is, there is a choice. There is a choice. And as you were talking, Greg, I'm like, I need a t-shirt saying I choose essentialism. I will make it and I will send it to you. <laughs> but tell me, tell me more. What did you learn then like what changed for you? I mean, that, that is a very powerful image of you being in the hospital. You've just had a stroke. The body has all changed, but the mind hasn't changed. I, I that's such a great description of something. Maybe, maybe we haven't, you know, maybe everyone listening to this hasn't gone through exactly that, but we've had moments where reality changed, but our mindset's still trying to hang on to an old, we an old situation or old expectations and we we need to unlearn so what did you unlearn and then learn absolutely and you know i'm gonna have to say this it's retrospective and and of course i didn't know i was learning these lessons as i was going through them but i do remember moments for sure and one of those moments which was confirmed when i was reading the chapters of your awesome book was it it does begin with making those small decisions in our daily life that are hard ones to help us choose the right choice. And I remember being in the hospital and I don't remember if it was day three, day four, whatever, it was all a blur. Uh, Just like those hospital meals were all a blur. (laughs) But but, um, I remember begging the, the neurologist, the cardiologist, especially uh, what had happened is they gave me a flight ban for three months. So I, I wasn't allowed to fly. 
and, um, and I said to them, you know, I, I really need to go to my, I need to be there for my daughter at her nationals tournament in Edmonton. I, I live in Vancouver. It's only a two hour flight. It's all good. And he said, no. And I'd ask again, I'd say, come on, I, it's, it's already booked. It's like, no big deal. I, I have to be there for her. And he said, no. So I, I, every day I asked. And then mm -hmm. finally, and I don't remember, it was day four that I asked. And he turned and he said to me, okay, Elaine, he goes, you could go to your daughter's tournament or you could go to her wedding. Mm. And I thought, wow, he's mean. A <laughs> 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 cruel bedside matters is this. No, but he spoke truth in that one statement. And, you know, my, my daughter heard me say this on a stage. And or she saw a recording of me saying that. And then she she like belted up from the kitchen. Choose the wedding, mom. Choose the wedding. <laughs> right. But, That's a powerful moment. Yes. A powerful question. Yes. And every day we make those choices. And I have been a yes girl for a long time. My husband can attest to that. Mm -hmm. I I am a recovering people pleaser, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, which means. I am a people pleaser, but I make a conscious decision every moment of a question that I decide yes or no on to, to make the right choice. Because when you say yes to something, you're saying no to something important, which is time with your children, time with your family, time on working on your business. And, uh, and so your book woke me up mm. and it, it rattled me. And, when you said, when you were talking about that, uh, that surgeon who said, you know, it wasn't, um, well, how do you say it? it was life-changing. Life-saving. Life-saving. Sorry. Yes. Yes. So I'm going to say that resonates for me, that it is a life-saving book. But yes, it, it does. You have a choice and you have a choice. I'm going to say one more time, you have a choice. I'm saying that because I know that the women, our listeners are primarily female and they're, they're, they have a family. They have a small business. They have multiple businesses, but we have choices that we can make that can save our life. That could save our time together with our children, our family. Because I have learned that there's an importance in mastering this art and that art is the mastering the art of single tasking mm -hmm. because we live in this crazy world of glorifying multitasking, right? You'll see it on social media. You'll see women juggling diapers and briefcases and laptops. And, you know, it's okay to let them all drop and catch the baby. Always catch the baby. <laughs> <laughs> but what is important is, is learning to do one thing and doing it really well. I'm not saying you have to single task all the time, just the times that it matters most, right? Because that's when our our children, our husband, our spouses, they, they won't remember our multitasking moments, but those single tasking moments with them. And same with our the client that you're working with, right? They they want to feel like you're they're your only client. And and I just want to say thank you, Greg, for for reminding me that I have a choice. Mm. And that life is not just the fast-paced multitasking world that that we all seem to get 
trapped on this freeway of if that makes sense no, absolutely and and you know we want all of us want to get beyond someone said it this way to me recently uh, we want to be more than the smartest rat in the room <laughs> you know we don't want to just be in the rat race we want to choose a different life a life that is full of meaning it's full of joy uh and and this idea that we have a choice is 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 at the very heart of what it means to become an essentialist the non-essentialist thinks i have to and even says that i have to where the essentialist says i choose to well what, what does that really look like because you can actually change that language next time you find yourself say well i have to do this today i have to do whatever it is fill in the blank i have to do this just change it to i choose to because now why if you say I have to, uh, I, I have to, I have to respond to this email. Okay, uh, I have to. In our life, there was a situation we had where we had our son uh, signed up for uh, baseball season, and uh, as as the season approached, we were like, "Oh, this is so much more work than we know what it's going to be, and it's just going to add so much extra time and travel." And but we have to. Oh, okay, we can't chastise ourselves saying that. I have to. So we say it differently. Well, we choose to do this because, and we fill in the blank. Well, because Jack will be disappointed if we don't do it. See, normally if you say I have to, it's the end of the sentence. I have to take him to, we have to do it. That's the end of your exploration, of your thinking. If you say I choose to because of this, because he'll be disappointed, well, now you know why you're doing it, and you can also go prosecute that assumption you could go find out if that's true jack we did it son come in here uh we're thinking about not doing baseball season but we, we, we just want to know what your thoughts are how do you feel about that uh instantly oh that'd be fine dad no no problem that is it there was nothing there was no cost to him there was no disappointment in him there was no moment of sadness there was nothing we we saved three months of our lives <laughs> and all the sanity that goes with that because we just tested our own hypothesis so i choose to because blank and then go see if that's true go see wow. if it's right this wow. is this is one way to live in the i choose to space i think if if we apply what you just said we as listeners we just gained about three hours in our day <laughs> <laughs> or three months in your case i know that's incredible and we understand because we have three kids between the ages of 11 and 17 as well and during this covid season um and of course our hearts go out to all who are affected in such negative ways um we have seen a lot of brightness and light too, like just having conversations with neighbors who are so grateful. Like there's one neighbor who has grown up children who are in, like in their late teens, early twenties who are never home because they're out with their friends. And she's always been sad by that. But now she beside herself, so happy that she's playing Scrabble with them and Pictionary and they want to be with her and spend this time because all that other noise and distraction and not that friendship is distraction but family time is often left behind and for us too like we, all three of our children are volleyball players 
Mm. And oh my, we 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 aren't driving to three different you live on, you live on the road normally. <laughs> yes. And and you know, and all those fast food places are probably missing out on our family right now. <laughs> but but we are so happy to have this time with family. Well, it's been nice. The one of the nice things about the COVID times is there's been forced essentialism in our society. Yeah. I'm, really, I'm really hoping that we'll come out the other side and people will say, I didn't have to do all that stuff. And likewise with Elaine, when she had her stroke, there was a bit of forced essentialism there. Um, we would like to help you spread the good news of essentialism. So people, you know, we don't need a life changing situation to start to explore it. And just, just to touch back on, on Elaine's journey, much like yourself, she, she created a product, like you created a book, she created a children's product and they were, they were both, uh, quite successful. I, in, in your case, you may have thought it was surprisingly successful in hers. It was, and her product actually helps children become tiny little essentialists. It helps them develop routine and have good habits and whatnot. And so while she was out there helping the children of the world become little tiny essentialists, she was injuring herself in the process. Uh, mm-hmm. And that wake up call came along and I was so thankful that we, we had this. We've been doing, you know, personal development stuff for a couple of years before that. I picked up this book I think in 2016 and I had read it, highlighted it, which I don't normally highlight books and applied it in my business uh, almost immediately. And I was trying to hint at it to Elaine, but uh, she was too busy. Uh, So this wake up call that she got really helped. And so I think if we could dive more into the the concepts in in the book now, we can, we can help a lot of people. I was going to say, I didn't just read the highlights, by the way. No, I, something you just said, though, I, I want to just riff on for a moment. The, the idea that ideas come to people when they're ready, you know, when, when the student's ready, the teacher arrives. And it reminds me, I once um, invited Clayton Christensen to come and speak at an event. Uh, he, 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 uh, he's passed away now. And, you know, years and years before we, we'd imagined or, you know, hoped we'd have him for a lot longer. But he began his speech with a really amazing story about a dream he'd had. And so this is Clayton Christensen, who, of course, uh, wrote Dile- uh, Innovator's Dilemma and many others, a significant thought leader in the world. I mean, arguably the, the number one thought leader in the world uh, before he passed away. And he, the story tells this dream. He, in his dream, he goes up to basically to heaven in his dream but it's to a place up there and some, someone meets him. I can't remember who he said, whether it was an angel or God, but somebody meets him and is taking him around and showing him around. And they show him to this warehouse, but it's an unusual warehouse because what lines the, all of the walls, everything is packed full, not of artifacts of, you know, gold and silver or whatever, but each artifact is knowledge. Each artifact is some important truth, some mental model, some insight, something that would solve an important problem. And Clayton looks at this whole situation, not delightedly, he's he's sort of aghast at it. He says, says, how is it that you have all of this here when down where I am, these problems are everywhere? And these truths would solve these problems instantly. It is just what we need. Why aren't you... Bring them to us. 
And, and, and the person who's guiding him around, his guide says, well, watch this. And he takes off Artifact 37A, whatever. And he says, well, this is, this is meant for, you know, this is meant for Greg down there. And, uh, and, he, and he throws the artifact out of heaven down onto earth and uh, down to me. And it goes straight through me. It just either bounces <laughs> off or goes straight through. I can't remember. And the guide says to him, look, until Greg is asking the right question, until he wants the answer, it doesn't matter if I give it to him. I can put it in front of him. I can throw it at him. I can put it in front. He will not see it. He will not absorb it. He will not be interested. And, and, and this was the, the sort of the, the, the gist of this as he wakes up, as he discovers, I get, our job is to ask the right questions and to be ready wow, and yes. to be open. And whether that's because, you know, you're a surgeon, suddenly your hands aren't threatened or whether it's a, uh, it's a stroke or whether it's uh, just concerns at the business and you want to go to the next level and you don't know how to do it or you have a relationship that's strained that you desperately want to improve whatever the reason is that causes us to pause and to say well whatever my ex- current mental models are not sufficient to this task because you know, I'm, I'm, I'm experiencing this is this is a, a, fail, a expectation failure I'm having expectation failure. I expected it to be like this, but it's not. When those moments come, if we choose to be humble, then we ask a new question. Absolutely. And as we ask a new question, suddenly we are open to more that comes along. I think there are just two kinds of people in the world. (laughs) Not to oversimplify or anything. Um, There are the people who are lost. Uh, I call those non-essentialists, right? And then... then, (laughs) And then there are people who know they are lost. And I call them essentialists. People wow. who know they are lost are people who wake up in the morning. They, don't, they do not know the answers. They do not have it all laid out. And because they're humble enough to admit that, then they do the stuff we all actually probably know how to do, which is you say, okay, well, what are the goals? And what did I get done yesterday? And what should I, what's really important to me to get done today? And you go through that process daily, weekly, monthly, all ongoing because you know you don't know what you're doing without that. So that's like the beginning of this journey to becoming an essentialist. This is, it's, a, it's a problem with the heart where you have to get humble and admit, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know why I'm so busy. I don't know what I'm racing towards, a race to nowhere. And when you wake up to that, every time you wake up to that, you are 50% <laughs> you know, in your journey to become an essentialist in that moment. I love, I love how you said it. It is that choice begins with humility. It, it does begin with acknowledging that I don't know anything at all and, and to admit it and to, to embrace that because, you know, I, when I was reading your book and I actually made a checklist and, and you have several of those within your book and about, you know, even the, the value and importance of how we view sleep, like, like, you know, the non-essentialists would say sleep is a waste of time because there's so much, you know, I could be doing in that extra hour. And I'm guilty, guilty, guilty of having fallen in that category and devaluing sleep. And now I'm the preacher of the opposite saying, don't be like me. <laughs> Devalue your sleep because it affects so much in your life. Like even getting that extra hour of sleep will give you hours more productivity and it does begin with that choice. I mean, that acknowledgement of I, I do 
know that I don't know everything and I need help. Mm-hmm. And, and earlier you had said, you know, a book is, it's like a, a life on its own. Like it, it's a living thing, mm-hmm. but, it, but if it sits on the shelf, if it's, if it just sits there, it mm-hmm. does no impact. Just like how we could preach to our children that broccoli over there is so good for you. And just because we have it in our house doesn't mean you're healthy <laughs> unless you make the choice to eat it and put it in inside your body so that you actually will get those nutrients and vitamins and minerals. And same with learning, right? We could have a, a, a shelf full of awesome books. Like my husband had this years before I I read it. Before I'm sure I knew that it existed. <laughs> but until I... I read it and applied it and and your book is one of those books where I didn't just read every page I had to like put it down and apply and take notes and write it down and and make choices mm. and, and I did I made big choices um, in the process of eliminating things in my life learned to say no and and yes to the right things and that it was okay to not do all the things that I was doing because I did want to choose, make choices so I could be there for the wedding and not for the next sports event. And whether it's, it's kicking a mom guilt to the side or, or like I said, I'm a recovering people pleaser. Um, it is, it is a small choices every day that lead to the right way of doing things. I think. Well, I love what you just said there. There's something that you said I, I want to build on, which is go smaller. Uh, when when people read essentialism, one of the things that sometimes happens, somebody said to me once, they said, oh, it should come with a warning. This will be the hardest thing that you will ever do. And for a while, I just accepted that as true. Like, oh, they've named something that's right about essentialism, which is so hard. And, and actually it's probably the number one thing that I now refute and reject about essentialism. But it took me a long time to recognize the underlying assumptions that led me to that conclusion. Uh, I think that not just this reader that said that to me, uh, but, but maybe almost universally, people hold the idea that doing really meaningful things um, are by definition take enormous effort they are really challenging and anything worth doing is 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 take this super hard thing to do and so as a result of that we often abandon the essential things for the trivial and easy things Mm. and so sometimes we abandon what's important before we've begun it it's the it's the um, it's the self improvement equivalent of watching you know you know when somebody has a slide deck and there's way too many words on the slides you know like maybe there's five hundred words on the slide or something <laughs> and uh, and you, you, what happens is that you don't read three hundred of the words and then give up you just do the pre scan am I ever going to read this I'm never going to read that book I mean I'm never going to read that slide. And I think in life, too, there are essential things that people assume and see as being enormously hard, and therefore they don't even bother. They do the pre-scan. Am I ever going to? 
I'm ever going to repair this relationship with that family member? Am I ever going to build that family that really mattered to me? Am I ever going to launch that business that, that's deep in me? Am I going to develop those talents? Am I ever going to protect the asset and actually get good sleep? It's all too overwhelming. And so they just put it aside. They, they barely even begin. And what you just said, which I, I just have come to, to have a great conviction of, is you go smaller so much smaller until you arrive at something that you have a, a physical reaction to where you, whether you say it or not, the, the spirit of is, I can do that. I, I, I could do that. I imagine that. And it creates like a burst of energy. I can, I can go after that. And just this morning, I read a story of a, of a, of a, a woman who uh, needed, she was with her doctor and she wasn't well, and, and part of the reason she wasn't well is she needed to lose some weight and so on. There was a variety of things, and, and, and there were two doctors together with her, and one of them said, well, look, you know, you probably should start exercising half an hour a day, maybe an hour a day, and he went to say this. And, and the other doctor that was writing the story said, as soon as he saw this, he could see in the eyes of the patient, it's just exhaustion. There was no way they were going to do it. It's not like they didn't know that would be good. It wasn't like a knowledge gap. It's just they couldn't imagine doing it. It's just overwhelming with all they already had going on. And so he said instead, he interrupted and he said, look, actually what I think you should do is for one minute a day, jog in place while watching TV, like march in place, not even jog, excuse me, just march in place while watching TV for one minute. And he said he saw it, her eyes light up because she knew she could do that. So she knew she wasn't going to say yes to something she knew immediately she wouldn't do. She wasn't going to have to break her integrity because she felt like she had to capitulate to this authority figure telling her what to do, but know that she's immediately going to break it afterwards. One minute per day. So by the time they had the next visit, she was full of energy for like, okay, and she actually asked, what's something else I can do in one minute per day? Awesome. And part of it, within a year, she had lost 30 pounds just because these incremental things. You, I think all change is easy. Really? Really? We say it's hard, but I think the emotions around the change are hard. The feeling that it's hard, the feeling that we might fail, all of those things are hard, but the actual change is just one physical step at a time. It, change can't happen any other way. You, have, you do a small thing. So I think it's a great myth that becoming an essentialist is so hard. That's like a non-essentialist way of becoming an essentialist. I like how you said that. It, it just takes one minute a day to make a, a huge pivotal change in in anything, whether it's your health, in your family relationship, in your business, in your business relationship. And you know, and I can I can hear the the thoughts right now of of some of our listeners who are like, you know, I'm an entrepreneur. I, I wear all the hats in my business. Yeah. I, I'm like the seller, the shipper, the marketer. Right. Um, I, 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 how on earth do I start essentialism as an entrepreneur? Like I wake up and I, I don't even know which hat. They're all layered on my head at the same time. So well, what would you just, say? I, well, I want to just take on that metaphor for a second, right? Because, I mean, first of all, I relate to it. So I, I work from home. We homeschool uh, three of our children. Uh, I'm an entrepreneur, so I'm a writer. Like I, I live some of what you're describing there. I'm not going to say it's exactly the same for everybody by any means. But let's just pass. You cannot wear 
all of the hats at one time. You cannot. So it's neither, it's neither necessary nor possible. So this, I have to wear all of these hats at once, is, is that, that feeling is part of what makes life harder than it needs to be. It's a belief that makes, we live with a burden that's not possible. Anytime you have the belief, I have to, but also the belief, I can't, what you produce is not greater productivity, just stress. Yes. Just, just produces emotional heat, stress. And the longer that exists, the more impossible it feels, mm-hmm. and therefore the stronger the emotion. But stronger not in terms of anger, you eventually you just become depressed with it. Yes. And so the emotions are dragging you down. So change feels really desperately hard. Maybe it feels literally impossible. And that's because we're thinking we have to do things we actually just can't do. Uh, uh, so we're trying to do change the wrong way. Now, what I want to say is that change can be enjoyable. It can be easy. Becoming an essentialist is either enjoyable and easy or it's nothing. or It's impossible. It's like it's, it's just not going to happen. That's the only path to change. It's no forcing your way to it, killing yourself night and day damaging all of your relationship weight that, that isn't going to work it's not going to happen so the only viable path to becoming an essentialist is easy and enjoyable it's fun you do it in small and simple ways you start you know um i was talking to somebody the other day now i don't know that this is that essential to be honest but but, but he'd written a book all about how to become like superhuman and and, and, and I, mean, I think that might be the title of this book and i was interviewing uh, being on his show and and um, I said, well, what's something that's essential for you that you're under-investing in? He said, well, it's cold showers, which for me, I'm, I'm of no interest in cold showers. So, right. so <laughs> someone wants it, but for him, it was essential. I said, why does it matter so much? But he had this whole plan, the seven-year plan that was all about how he would achieve this dream version of himself and what his life. And, and this was a part of the process each day to get himself psyched up. And his goal was half an hour every day. I said, what does success look like? He says, nine out of 10 days. I can get one day off in 10. I said, how are you doing with it? He says, uh, he says, I'm not doing it. (laughs) I mean, that's the gist of it. How do you feel about that? Terrible. I mean, he just feels terrible about it because I have to do it, but for some reason I cannot do it. Mm. So it just produces stress and eventually discouragement and eventually even depression. I don't know that he was depressed, but I'm just saying. Right. Absolutely. I said, what if, what would be easy? Could we do it easy? How could we make it easier? First, I said, well, what if we did one minute per day? Okay, well, that definitely seemed more achievable than 30 minutes. I said, no, hold on. I've changed, reduced it. What if it is one minute per week? Now, you have to do it one time in the whole week. You can, you can fail six times out of seven and still be successful with the goal. And all you do is for one minute, one time. So, you know, when you finally feel like it on one of the days you go, well, no big deal. I mean, it's one minute, so we'll do it. Mm-hmm. And here you could see again this physicality, this change of like, yes, I can do that. I'm going to do that. Yes. That's what we want. That's what I want for people who are trying to become essentialists. I, I'm not sure I did a good enough job with essentialism, but I'm trying to, I'm trying to write something right now, actually, that's, uh, that's help, hopefully 
will correct this other core assumption. I didn't know of when I wrote essentialism, which is that people just think everything has to be hard. If it's, if it's worthy, it has to be hard. I have to sacrifice myself, body and soul, if it's something important. And I think that whole thing, that whole Puritan idea, keeps a lot of good people from doing the most important work of their life. And, and I'm going to say, I didn't see that as like that, what you're saying about, you know, the yeah the weight of, of the challenge and difficulty of being an essentialism, uh, being an essentialist. I, I, I don't see that. I, yes, I, it was doable uh, for you. Yes. And that's, what it was meant, that's what it was meant to be. It is. It absolutely is. It is a choice. And who doesn't like choices, right? It's just remembering that you have one, right? Yes. When you get caught up in the craziness of having to, have to do this, have to do that, you, you forget that actually I, I don't have to. I have a choice. And sometimes, yes, it may look not so good to somebody else because I'm saying no to them. But I'm saying yes to my health. I'm saying yes to my family. And that is okay. It's not being selfish because there is only one of you that can be that mom or wife or business owner or friend or daughter or son. There's only one of you. So we have to, I know I'm saying this and I'm saying the word yeah. have to remember that we have a choice and, and choosing to is what you want to like to, to, it was so brilliant when you just pointed that out and perhaps you're not the first person to say it, but you were the first person to say it to me through this book mm. of don't you want to live a life by design rather than by default. And, and mm. I, I have run that course and I, I still catch myself on that course, but then I, I get to interrupt my life and say, Oh, I got to get off. And, and it does take effort to realize that and, and to realize I have a choice to make right now before I like I can get off this train or I could stay on and, and go crazy and go nowhere and still go crazy and, and juggle all these hats. And you, you mentioned that routine is a very important tool. And yes, I am all about routines and structure. And when I created Easy Daisies, I, I named it. It was to help kids have easier days. That's why it's called Easy Daisies. I like it. And thank you. And it was when I was a school teacher and I had all these parents ask me to create a daily visual schedule to help their kids get out the door faster in the morning to become more cooperative, <laughs> right? And independent. And so so that's exactly how it was born. And and I made them for free actually for eight years before I actually made oh. it into a product. Um but it is it is about establishing a routine. So that it just flows so easily and, yeah. and, and, and there's less anxiety, there's less stress because you, you know what it's coming ahead and, and it just makes it so much more efficient. So I'm going back to those hats then, Greg, would you say that you would compartmentalize, uh, comp I can't even speak, compart compartmentalize, compartmentalize those hats and, and, and so that you're, you're chomping up, chunking your time so it, when you are you're writing a new book right now you're going to be launching a podcast you are a dad you have speaking events you teach you you do all these things so obviously you don't like you said you can't wear all those hats at the same time so what what is your skill 
What is your strategy? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm a struggler with this. I, I always have more things than I want to do than I can do. So you need easy daisies then. <laughs> yeah, I do. And I love, I love the name and I love the idea of it. Um, the, the, the first thing I would, let me give practically something that Anna and I um, do that I think is a good idea. Uh, w- once a month, we'll make a projects list. And we have an ongoing big projects list, right, of all the different things that you want to do and you can keep adding to them and all through the, the day and through the week and month, you're going to have all sorts of other ideas coming your way, right? Loads and loads of projects. Well, the default position is that all of those projects compete for your, you know, for that, you know, headspace right now, all the time. And you might have 100, 200 projects, that you want to do things around the house. Uh, each of the children need different things, and they, they those needs are changing. Parenting's like the ultimate startup; they're constantly changing, and requirements even week to week that the, their needs are changing. The, the business things that you're trying to run, and opportunities that have come in overnight, problems that you there's so many things and so many projects. So get a master list, right? Get a Google Doc, whatever, you put them all there, get them out of your head there so that you don't have to try and hold not just the current hats, but every possible hat that you would like one day to do mm. all at once, right? Some people, I do think for some people, it's almost like they have a hundred hats on, you know, if every project is a separate hat. <clears throat> but put that all there. Once a month, look through the list. Uh, brainstorm other things too, but you select. I think the. the I, I think it's no more than seven. Uh, even that might be a bit of a stretch, but seven projects that you're going to complete this month. Wow. So I recommend that people divide the list into the three categories I, I've mentioned before, but but only sort of not. I didn't draw it out specifically. The first category is protect the asset. This is always first. Second thing is your relationships, the most important relationships. So for me, it's family relationships there. Mm. But of course, it could be extended beyond that. But your most important relationships. And third is everything else. What other meaningful projects you want to go on in the world out there? But they're the out there projects. So those are the three categories. Protect the asset, relationships, and out there. So you can choose how to put, you know, you've got seven different projects. You could have all seven be able to protect the asset if you wanted, I suppose. I've, I've never done it like that. But, you know, you choose how it is. So one or two in protect the asset, one or two in family, maybe more, and then whatever remains out there. So I have that. I literally have it. I won't show it right now, but, you know, whatever. but I have it on the wall right here. So I put the projects list here. And what it allows me to do is two really important things. One, every morning when I do my daily planning, I can look at that projects list and say, okay, what's the next thing? What is, and I'm telling you, this is the right thing. What's the realistic next step? No, it doesn't have to be overwhelming. You don't have to kill yourself over it because you're not trying to complete it today. You're trying to make progress on each of those items each day this month. And you're going to make great progress. You're going to get that work done. Mm -hmm. The second thing it allows me to do is when new projects come up, New ideas. I don't even mean other people doing it to me. It could be just an idea I have or brainstorm that I'm having with Anna and I or with the kids. And, oh, what about this cool thing? 
we say, yes, okay, let's hold that up to the projects list. Is that more important than anything on the list right now? Or can we put that on the projects list for later? We'll get to it. We'll come back to it. Mm-hmm. If we want to later, we'll do it. And that looking at opportunities and work and projects against an existing list helps us to get real, helps us to be honest. One of the things it's taught me is that I, and I think many other people, kind of live in a little bit of denial in thinking that we can do way more projects than we realize we can. So what we're doing is we're overestimating what we can do today and this week and underestimating what we can do in a decade or more. And so what I think is we can be incredibly productive over a decade. We can get so many of these important projects completed and improved and built into our lives. But if we try and do them all at once, we won't actually get almost any of them complete. We'll certainly stress ourselves out more. So this is one practice that I have found really useful in actually selecting what to do and what not to do. I so appreciate that. I talk a lot. I'm so sorry, Ron. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, Greg, getting back to the point you made earlier that uh, the two types of people. I, I know there's still one listener out there who's saying, you know, I'm lost because I'm, I'm different than everybody else. I'm more lost. I'm not invited to the party to, of the people who know that they're lost. Like, you just don't know how busy I am and how overwhelmed I am. Es- es- essentialists are, are made, not born. Is that correct? Oh, yeah, I think that is right. I mean, it's probably true that some people may be, um, you know, you could probably take the population and put it on a normal distribution curve. You know, some people are, are, are a bit wired more as essentialists. Some people maybe a bit more wired as a non-essentialist. Most of us in the middle. But I think no matter where your, no matter where, what your tendency would be, you can move a couple of standard deviations over. You know, anyone can become more essentialist. And, 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 that's that's how I would encourage people to think about it. You know, wherever they are, like, what do I do to take a, a a step over, an inch closer to being an essentialist today, and the same the next day and the next day, uh, because that continual improvement towards being an essentialist, uh, you know, compounds over time, and you make a lot of progress. Like I said, over years, over ten years, you you can do tremendous amount of good, get the right things done, reduce your stress, and increase your output. Uh, especially the right things. Can you, it might be um, inspiring for audience. If you can share from your history, because you're, you're basically the Moses of essentialism. You wrote the tablets, <laughs> but I'm sure you had a burning bush moment where you haven't, you didn't come out of the womb. This is this much of an essentialist. You must've had a time in your life where the lights turned on. Uh, yeah. I mean, one of the, one of the stories that I, was a, define, was a defining moment, a defining moment was when I received an email from uh, my manager at the time that said Friday between one and two would be a bad time for your wife to have a baby. Uh, <laughs> I needed to be at this client meeting. And, you know, look, they, they, they could have been joking about that. I, I, I don't know. They, they certainly might have been uh, easily persuaded if I had pushed back, but I, I didn't. And... Thursday night comes along, we're in the hospital. Uh, you know, our daughter's born in the early hours, uh, Friday morning. And, and instead of being focused 
all there in that moment. This is what matters. This is who matters. My wife, my daughter. I'm feeling torn. I've got all these pressures pulling on me, and I, and I am trying to do them both. That's what a non-essentialist does: straddle it. Let's see how I cram both in. And uh, you know, so to my shame, I go to the meeting, and afterwards, uh, my manager said, "Look, the client will respect you for the choice you just made." And I don't know that they did. I don't know that the look on their faces evinced that sort of confidence. But even if they had, I made a fool's bargain. Mm. And I, you know, I violated something more important or something less important. What I learned was if you don't prioritize your life, someone else will. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and that really is a core tenet of becoming an essentialist. You're taking responsibility for the prioritization of your life. And it doesn't mean that you can control everything. Of course you don't. It doesn't mean you can even decide everything that you do all the time. No, it doesn't mean that. But it does mean that if you take responsibility for it yourself, then you are better armed to be able to negotiate, to be able to simply sometimes actually just say no, as I'd love to, but I, I can't be done. It can, first thing first is to get it clear yourself. Each day, each week is to keep coming back to what's essential because otherwise everything else around you will decide it for you. I so appreciate that. And I loved reading that line and I, I've written it in my notebooks over and over, even my agenda where you said that if you don't uh, prioritize your life, someone else will do that for you. And, and one of the key lessons that I learned from you and reading Essentialism is, is putting my time and energy where my heart is. Because when you do that, whether you are a small business owner or a big business owner, you will find that you will work with the right people. You will draw the right people to you and, and deter those that, that you shouldn't be working with. And, and I learned that as a, a mom who started my business off my kitchen table, and I still work for my kitchen table. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't manufacture off my t- kitchen table anymore. But I remember very specifically this one company, a, a mass retailer in, in, in Canada, that I really, really wanted my products, Easy Daisies, to be in. And I wrote to them for like seven weeks. And they never replied. And finally, I got this email from one of their buyers for the category saying, okay, let's let's meet over Skype uh, on this specific day. And I was jumping up and down. I ran over to the calendar. And just when I was about to write it, I see it was my son's grade one end of the year concert. Mm. And I thought, oh, oh no. I said, I, I have to, I have to be there for the concert. And choose to. Because I choose to. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, because I choose to. Um, and being a former school teacher, I, I, I know the importance. Like when I taught grade one and grade two, my kids who performed weren't excited because they were singing a song, but because they had someone to wave to that they knew yeah, from. That's right. And, and I wanted to be there for my son. So it, it killed me to write back to this uh, buyer from this retail chain and I did. I shared honestly and openly that I'm so grateful for that opportunity. However, it is my son's end of the year concert, and I would like to be there for the concert. 
And immediately they wrote back saying, absolutely, you should be there for your son's concert and just call us when you're done. As in that school parking lot after the concert that I made that call. And I am so honored and blessed and grateful that, that Easy Daisy's has now been a bestseller at Staples across uh, Canada for the last, since 2013 and, and such an honor. And when I was in the hospital for that stroke and I had, I was putting out a test order and I was so stressed by this. It was to a mass retailer, uh, much, much bigger in the USA. And I was like, I couldn't even speak properly, but I was telling my husband that he had to make sure it all happened properly mm. for me. And he has his own business and, and I was asking him to help me here. And I remember when I finally got a laptop because I wasn't allowed, to, I, I couldn't type anyways, but mm. when I finally got a laptop at the second hospital I was transferred to, I wrote to them to apologize for my delay in replies and their one and only question um, after I, I, I downplayed that I was in the hospital for a stroke, but their one, their one and only question was, will you meet the deadline? That was the only thing they asked. And, and it was very evident then um, what was important in, in the whole big picture mm-hmm. and, and that it was okay for me to, to make choices that some would say weren't successful choices, but to me, it was valuing the asset. It was valuing my family and, and the larger community in a whole because I can't contribute if I don't exist. And so I am so grateful and to you. And I, I want to close on, I'm going to say, our final three quick questions, <laughs> which, you know, that's an oxymoron already. <laughs> <laughs> But my first question, congratulations, you are, you're going to have a podcast. And yes. I, in this, I'm going to be like a genie and put two questions in one. <laughs> <laughs> because I have stated that there's three questions. You're going to, I would love for to know the name of this podcast. Plus, if you could dream up uh, and say, you know, your dream person to have on your podcast with you besides me of course because I'm your raging fan (laughs) and and cheerleader is who would that be and it could be someone from past history that is no longer to someone that actually is a real human being (laughs) who would that Um, be Yes. Yeah, so the uh, thank you for asking those questions uh, the podcast is Essentialism with Greg McEwen. People can find it and subscribe wherever they find their podcasts. I mean, it's everywhere. Uh, it's uh, June 22nd is the first Woo-hoo. download, and there'll be four episodes uh, that we'll download all at the same time uh, so that people can take, pick, have their pick. Uh, amongst those four are some of my dream people. Um, but, uh, but the first person, the first interview uh, is the person I most wanted to interview is with my wife, Fan. <sighs> Uh, and both, both because that was who I, I just knew it had to be her. Uh, you can only have the first episode once. Uh, and then secondly, when I did go and ask the essentialist community what, um, you know, who they would, who they wanted me to interview on the podcast, I got many great suggestions, but, but the one that got the most likes, the most interest, uh, and was suggested by the community was Anna. So I think there is some, you know, some interest in sort of saying, oh, hey, 
maybe it's maybe the spirit of it is does he really live it you know what's it really like and she pulls no punches in the interview either but uh, but you get to hear her side of the hospital moment that uh, is so awesome i think that's going to be that's going to be interesting for people i think well you know if i was more organized i would have invited your wife to be a part of this <laughs> and I, and yes, she might uh, see that I, I just followed her, her on Instagram and, That's great. and yeah, I'm so excited to one day, hopefully uh, meet with your wife and maybe have her on this podcast because I would be delighted to, yeah. to learn from her and just laugh with her because that would be awesome. Um, I am going to give the floor to my husband. Do you have a pressing question? I'm giving you up one, giving up one of my three questions to you. <laughs> well, there's a question I asked to a lot of people. That's probably the one you would like me to ask. Who would you like to play you in the movie of your life? <laughs> oh dear. I should have a good answer to that question. Right? Um, they don't have to have a British accent either. The only name that comes to my mind, but it's not, this is no good because, because it's not a good reason or anything, but, but given that my name is Greg McEwen, I've always thought it was funny that, fun that Ewan McGregor was out there. It's like my opposite, right? Ewan McGregor instead of Greg McEwen. And he is an actor and you ask for an actor and he has a British accent. So uh, that's who it's going to be for today. Nice. Because I, I can't, I have not given better thinking to it than that, but uh, that's a fun note to end on. <laughs> okay, I get the last question. Or would you? Look, look, this oh, is ahead, amazing. It's amazing. We have three questions that are now four questions. I, 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 I the last it. one is essential. Go, well, no, go for it. Final question is. Wait, no, my first question was actually two in one. Oh, I see. I, I see. I, I see that non-essentialist trick there. Yeah, I just give you a hard time. You go, go ahead. Give me, give, give me your final question. Okay, so it, my podcast is all about create better, right? So create better family, create better health, create better business, create better self. If you could leave one last tip for that listener, my listener who's listening right now, our listener, to have a way to create better, what would that be? Um, look, I'm going to give. Uh, I'm going to answer this by, first of all, just introducing the phrase from essentialism, less but better. You know, so, so if you only try to do better, but you never subtract, you never eliminate, you never simplify, you, you never essentialize, then, then eventually it becomes almost impossible to be better because you're just so much packed full already. So less but better, I think, is the principle. And then as an application for that, and I know this is especially hard, and maybe it isn't possible when you have young children, uh, but to do what you can to get have the first as much as two hours of your day be your time mm. for protecting the asset. So you, you, get to, you get time there to do the journaling, to just even get ready to, uh, to, to take a shower, to do a little exercise, to do whatever it is that helps you to be you because if you don't do that what i notice happens is you just start to resent everyone else yes and yes. so then nothing else works again it's not selfish there's three concentric circles and the center is protect the asset then relationships then other this is it non-essentialists go from the outside in mm. essentialists go wow. from the inside out that's the only difference really wow a single image wow i I'm a visual learner and you just painted that picture so beautifully. 
And we want to be working from the inside out because if we go the other way, we will destroy ourselves <laughs> to put it mildly. To, and, and I, I've lived that. I, I make conscious small decisions each day to, to make the right choices in life and huge gratitude, huge gratitude to you, Greg. And we are so honored and I will have a, where to find you in our show notes, but for that listener right now, where can they find you? Oh, best place is to go to essentialism.com. Okay. That's how it's spelled. Yes, but our listeners can't see that. <laughs> <laughs> Read the book Essentials. And that would be my number one piece of yes, advice. We will have all this great information in our show notes. So honored and really blessed to, to have this time with you, Greg. And thank you for speaking into my heart, into our lives and our, our children's lives because you filled my, my cup. My cup will pour into my children's cups, I, I'm hoping and praying, and, and so forth. So you are awesome, and I cannot wait for your podcast. So excited about that. And honey, do you want to add anything? No, thank you for coming on. Uh, this was a bucket list moment for me, so I'll probably retire from podcast interviews now. <laughs> thank you. Thank it's you, okay. Ron. Thank you, Elaine. <sighs> thank you so thank you, much. Greg. I want to say thank you to our listeners. Thank you for, for having uh, us with you while you were on your walk, while you were doing the dishes, while you were driving from meeting to picking up your kids. We are so grateful. And remember, uh, less is better. And it starts with just one minute, whether it's one minute a week. But I love what Greg said at the end there. And this is something I share when I get invited to speak uh, as a parent expert uh, parent on parenting or education is to even wake up an hour earlier than your children. So you have that time to fill your cup. And because when you have that, you have so much more to offer others. It's really hard to start the day with an empty cup. And I just want to say thank you with gushing heart again to Greg McEwen. He has no idea what fan crushing is happening on this side. But thank you. And thank you for listening.